the horrific flesh-eating plague which I released from the long-forgotten burial tomb of the sorcerer king Megar VII was carried by the winds blowing from the north down across the various city-states in the south. Ramon, the place I have called my home for years now, will likely never be the same. The city streets, once relatively full of life, of conversation, of bartering and trade, now lie empty and silent. So many wiped out in such a short amount of time that what remained of their bodies now just melted puddles of wax-like flesh and gore merely rots under the oppressive, glaring sun. The various squabbling houses of nobility and associated merchant guilds lay in ruins. Leaders dead, heirs fighting amongst each other. The whole ruling structure of the city turned on its head, leading to a power vacuum, which would inevitably be filled by whoever was either devious or savvy enough to rise to the top of the boiling cauldron. Clearly, my time in the city was up. However, all was not in vain. Now armed with the first piece of knowledge I needed to complete the ritual of achieving lichdom, I began to seek out additional sources of information about artifacts, powerful items infused with sorceries, which I could use to house the various separated pieces of my soul while I conducted the ritual of lichdom. Long thought to be nothing more than legend. Many fantastic folk tales found throughout the city-states talked of many different creatures shrouded in nothing more than mysticism and fear. However, one of these beasts in particular is mentioned numerous times in the history books. Well-regarded and informed historians even wrote about this creature a creature dating back to the time of the great sorcerer kings. This intelligent and seemingly terrifying chimera, a blend of many creatures, seems to be foretold to me by the Seven of Diamonds, yet another powerful adversary for me to overcome. This intelligent creature lives out on a series of islands, an archipelago often feared by merchants and beloved by pirates. Sticking out deep into the southern sea, this chimera is rumored to have roosted atop the tallest peak of this mountainous chain. Normally, I wouldn't give such rumors much thought. However, the tales also speak of a powerful artifact protected by this creature. An artifact that is rumored to allow strong minds a glimpse of the distant past. Perhaps this beast guards this so-called iron eye of the blind god because it allows it a glimpse into what might have once been a glorious past. Or perhaps it allows it a chance, however fleeting, to see an image of its old master. Preparations for this expedition took time. Many months I gathered what remains of the various mercenary companies throughout the city-states, and even hired a supposedly reputable, well, we'll call her an entrepreneurial captain. Someone who had set up a network of various refugees, coves and caves throughout the archipelago, 
where she kept her fleet hidden from the prying eyes of those who wished to find them. Captain Beatrice was known to be a glutton. Her rather immense girth should not be underestimated, for though she appears soft, she is also wily and strong. Even after the bittersweet results of my expedition to the tomb of Magar VII, I still had a considerable fortune amassed in Ramon. However, between the greedy Beatrice and the hiring of the mercenary band, I was left with very little wealth to my name. Departing from Ramon, the city of spices, something told me I would not be smelling its distinctive mixtures of spices and aromas for a very long time again. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast where I, your host, player, and GM Hero Cities, play role-playing games for your listening pleasure. Once again, we are diving back into the Rules Light Indie RPG Lichdom. In fact, it's so light, it could almost be considered a directed storytelling game, more so than any kind of traditional RPG. That being said, I've been really enjoying my time exploring the system and discovering the rather twisted and, well, quite frankly nefarious story of Varak, the not-quite-yet-imperishable. The storytelling presented through a deck of standard cards and using various tables. Specifically, I've been using the Mythic GM emulator and the recently released Knave 2nd Edition by Ben Milton. Something that I personally kickstarted and has an absolutely wonderful collection of tables relating to everything from the taste and texture of a potion to a quite interesting magical spell generation table to NPCs to buildings, cities, and everything else in between. I highly recommend it as just a source of inspiration off of its D100 tables, even if you aren't particularly interested in OSR games in general. OSR standing for Old School Renaissance which is kind of a modern revival of very simple, relatively rules-light, and relies upon more spontaneous rulings from the Game Master. While OSR games aren't necessarily my cup of tea, Knave 2 itself, along with the original Knave, is a wonderful wealth of tables, and I highly recommend checking it out if that's something you're interested in. Anyways, I'm really happy to be able to record another episode so soon. And as always, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And without further ado, let's get into it. The Great Chimera occupying the highest peak of the spiraling archipelago, sticking far out into the southern sea. This unnatural being created by sorcery and the melding of a great winged wyvern, a hydra, and a ferocious lion. The myths surrounding the chimera claim that it is not only unaging, seemingly having lived for a thousand years, 
but also immortal, impervious to attacks. And even the greatest of the great warriors who have attempted to kill this terrifying monster have met with nothing more than a swift, bloody end. This collection of islands create a long hook sticking far out into the southern sea. Would be beautiful, covered in palm trees, sprawling beaches, high cliffs rising up directly from the crashing sea below. However, this wild land is inhabited with all sorts of creatures, both terrestrial and aquatic. Creatures of myth and legend. And not to mention the ever-present threat of roving bands of pirates and other cutthroats who call this wild, dangerous land their home. Lucky for us, the frequent storms of unbelievable magnitude and strength that frequently hammer these islands were nowhere to be found, and our journey to the islands went relatively smoothly with nothing to note. The flagship of Captain Beatrice, known far and wide as a vessel not to be trifled with. One of the largest islands of this archipelago is topped with a huge mountain eternally shrouded in clouds. And atop this mountain is rumored to be the lair of the Great Chimera, a struggle against an adversary who is mundane. However, even with no assistance from any of my artifacts, the fight against this beast proved to be more overblown in myth, more embellished than what was true in reality. With a horrible roar from its many heads, the beast descended down upon the flagship of Captain Beatrix, shooting barbed spikes as long as a man's arm from its tail sinking deep into even the hardened wood of the ship's deck. Crashing down upon the deck, it scattered the mercenaries belonging to my band as it let out a fearsome roar out of its lion-like head. Thrashing its tail, biting down with many heads, the battle at first seemed to be going poorly for us. Many men skewered by the spikes from its tail, including Beatrice's first mate, devoured by one of the heads. Luckily for everyone involved, I called upon my considerable well of magical power and conjured up a cone of thick, viscousy tar, blacker than night and complete with various tendril-like appendages to hold the beast down as it tried to leap from the deck of the ship and conduct another horrific pass of the ship in which it would pick up men and drop them from towering heights or spray more of its barbed tendrils from its swishing tail. Captain Beatrix herself administered the killing blow to the creature. Cutting off heads merely made more regrow in its place. Swords and pistol shot merely reflected off its scaly hide. However, rooted in place as it was by my cone of tar, the beast had nowhere to go. Its intelligent feline eyes widening in surprise as Beatrix turned the most powerful deck gun on the beast, flapping its wings futilely in all directions, which I helped scatter with my magics. The booming roar of fire blasted the beast in the chest, the massive steel ball ripping through the other side, and the beast collapsed, its centuries of terror finally at an end. 
with relatively minimal losses, besides a handful of mercenaries and pirates, and of course, the captain's first mate. We ascended the tall peak where I discovered at last my prize. Yet another artifact to add to my collection. This one, unique and different, just like all the others. Merely picking it up for the first time, I could feel something poking and prodding at my mind, trying to dig its way in, to worm its way into my subconscious. Securing it below decks within the captain's own personal treasure vault, I knew that my time would come when I would have to test my own mental fortitude against the artifacts. Upon our voyage away from the island, Beatrice surprised me, called into her rather well-appointed cabin, and presented with a magnificent sprawling feast, complete with a stuffed pig on the center table. She offered me a position in her fleet and asked me merely for my fealty in return. I asked her if she cared what I did on my own, if I would have a lair of sorts, a refuge to conduct my experiments. She merely shrugged and said, as long as your share of the booty comes in, I care not what you do. So I accepted her offer, and with a small ship and crew of my own, made up of the surviving mercenaries, I took the opportunity to set up a new lair within the twisting, half-submerged sea caves of some unnamed island amidst the spiraling archipelago. This seaside cove worked out well for me. The life of a pirate raiding along the shores of the city-states gave me plenty of opportunity to capture various subjects I needed to continue my research. And before long, I became known as the Black Sail, for I always sailed at night with no light, and rumors spread about the horrific nature of my crew. With three artifacts now in my possession, I began to delve deeper into the interaction between dark sorceries and the soul. However, Beatrice was always pushing me to be more active, pushing me to take my vessel out onto the waters. And before long, my reputation grew within the small band of captains under her command. Specifically, as foretold by the Three of Hearts, One of these fellow captains grew increasingly jealous of Beatrice's attention upon me. Rumored to have been, for a short time anyways, a lover of Beatrice, we encountered each other more than once upon the choppy waters of the archipelago. At one point, they even rammed my ship as I was preparing a boarding action against one of the city-state's merchant vessels. They claimed it was an accident, but I could see the hate in their eyes. I could feel the malice being imparted to me. My rage at this point was near a boiling point, nearly led me to do something I might have regretted, or I might not have. However, I was in the beginning stages of a plan to find the next artifact. Only when this fool sent me a vile, nasty, handwritten letter, which I almost made the mistake of touching, that was written in the extremely poisonous ink distilled from some deep-sea squid that is known to cause painful convulsions and quick death. At this point, I knew I had to keep an eye on this man, this fool who called himself Rex, like a king. 
However, his crew and many others within Beatrice's organization jokingly refer to him as Tiny, which perhaps might have been the source of why Beatrice grew bored of him so quickly. I did vow to have my revenge upon this tiny man once I no longer needed Beatrice and the rest of her band of merry pirates I would have my way with this pathetic man who dared to think of himself as being worthy to be my rival. Not long after this encounter, I had a remarkably lucky breakthrough. While conducting a raid on a small, isolated fishing village in order to collect more willing volunteers for my various experiments, as luck would have it, A traveling monk dedicated to the worship of him was in town, making no attempts to blend in with the rest of my captives. He attempted to use some sort of divinely inspired, well, energy to defend himself from my undead crew. And while it was initially effective, the man soon ran out of energy, collapsing to the ground exhausted. A mere handful of my, well, soon-to-be-replenished servants lying scorched and burned in a circle around him. The words he told me, inspired by the Six of Diamonds, provided invaluable information. Information about rumors within the Church of Him, hinting at the potential for some powerful, disastrous artifact in these lands. The days of horrific torture were worth it, and amidst his agonizing screams, begging for final release, he told me the name of the Templar who organized this search, and of course, it was none other than my dear old brother, who had seemingly managed to survive the horrific, vile, flesh-eating plague that swept across the land. And as always, inevitably, as though merely a twist of fate, our paths would cross yet again. However, before this auspicious meeting would commence, yet another stroke of luck would land my way, this time driven by the Jack of Hearts. Over the years following our magnificent victory over the Chimera, a few members of that mercenary band I hired actually survived. Even though I prefer the company of my quiet undead minions, I still have need of mortals, of men and women who can serve on deck during the day, who allow me to travel unmolested through the lands of the living, while my more rotten servants languish below deck, happy to be stacked like nothing more than sacks of grain. The leader of this mercenary band A scrawny and ruthless man by the name of Felbon Rathlow, made famous because of his long, flowing blonde hair, which he always wore loose around his shoulders. Felbon was exceedingly cruel and useful to me, willing to simply stay allied with me with the promise of riches and the freedom to inflict terror and freedom to, well, implement his rather creative forms of torture. He was originally the bastard son of a powerful and influential merchant. He was cast out from the house upon his mother's death and grew up amongst the rats and starving bands of children. 
However, with his ruthless cunning and complete disregard of human life, he made contacts throughout the entirety of the lower castes of society, and even leveraged his now dead father's name to find himself the training and to leverage the funds needed to outfit himself with the mercenary group. That being said, his talents have come in handy many times. However, he still owes a large debt to the powerful and vengeful mercenary guild, which he more or less abandoned with their gear and training unpaid, his decades of required service unfulfilled. All of that aside, Felbon Rathlow had proven himself to not only accept my more extreme tendencies and behavior, but also resourceful and trustworthy enough to merely be assigned a task that I knew he'd be able to fulfill. At some point, his debts would come calling. At some point, his greedy past would come back to haunt him. Over the course of my plying the waters as one of Beatrice's prized captains, I came in contact with a variety of other more clandestine organizations. By this point, Captain Beatrice's band was more like a guild, organized to the point that we were able to conduct our own missions out into the world for months on end, and she would expect us to return. During one of these times, I came in contact with a group, a guild of sorts, maybe more of an organization of like-minded individuals who lived in the shadows much as myself. As foretold by the Queen of Diamonds, this group, known as the Silent Death, aided me in overcoming a particularly thorny problem that had been growing in my side, a thorn jokingly referred to as Tiny. Now, a few years on from our initial negative interactions, Tiny was acting as if he was my equal, as if nothing had ever occurred, as if he hadn't tried to poison me. This pathetically weak captain couldn't even keep his own men from joking about him. As promised, I wanted him gone, dead. But Beatrice knew of our previous interactions. I still needed Beatrice. I had use of her organization in a major upcoming undertaking that I was just beginning to plan. This is where the silent death came into play. I needed them for their ironically well-known obscure secrecy and efficiency. And as luck would have it, they needed my assistance as well. A rogue member of their guild had taken refuge in a so-called Sorcerer's Tower, located on a rather deserted volcanic island, the far end of the archipelago. This rather inconsequential member of the guild had failed in one of his assassination missions, and had failed so spectacularly that his quarry actually knew the assassin was after them. According to tradition, after failing an assassination like this, the member should have presented themselves for judgment, should have presented themselves to fall on their own sword, to end their own life as a failure to the guild. However, fleeing to this remote island, he was still protected by sorceries, and even the most minor and inconsequential sorceries can still present a challenge to mere mortals. So, I made an agreement with the Silent Death. In return for my aid in apprehending their disgraced member, 
they would take care of a certain tiny problem for me. Long story short, I assisted them in recapturing and subsequently horrifically executing their own traitor, and they helped me with the tiny problem I had. It's really quite simple. While I was far cast out to sea, and Tiny was back in his pathetic little cove he called a castle, the guild merely caused an avalanche, a rock slide, a cave-in, if you will, that tumbled down upon Tiny when he was, well, relieving himself at the privy. Quite the crappy way for the man to go. And if the story presented by the assassin who undertook the job are to be believed, the nickname Tiny was in fact quite well earned. And this opened up a blossoming relationship between myself and the Silent Death. They remained an invaluable organization for assisting me with anything I needed during my rise to Lichdom. Although they were not cheap and their services always came with a price. After they saw the work my magics did on that remote volcanic island, and they witnessed the dark terror of my undead minions, they knew what would happen if they failed me. They knew I would take justice, well, so-called justice, into my own hands. And I knew that they were true to their word. I knew that they would take extreme measures if any of their members failed in whatever mission I gave them. And in the future, the Silent Death would prove pivotal in my ongoing quest to achieve everlasting life through the arcane ritual of Lichdom. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One Guy, One Roll podcast. I had a great time making this episode, and I hope that y'all enjoyed listening as well. This episode went extremely well for Varak. I mean, our initial card was a seven of diamonds, an adversary, and it ended up being the Chimera. Seven difficulty with no positives to add to the roll. I rolled an 11. That means on the last two rolls I've made that have potentially disastrous consequences have both gone extremely well. After that, I had a couple mundane events, and then a jack, our first jack of the game. A jack is a companion, someone who gives you a plus one in whatever aspect that companion is, until they either die or something happens that changes your relationship with them. Of course, our companion is Felban, the ex-mercenary, and is now kind of a right-hand man to us. I figured that's where our luck was going to end for the episode, but our last card, the Queen of Diamonds, embodies the idea of influence. In the future, whenever I need, even after a roll, to get a bonus to the roll, I can spend this Queen of Diamonds on a mundane task to get a plus 2d6, or an arcane quest to get a plus 1d6 on the roll, which would then symbolize utilizing this contract and it being fulfilled, completed. The whole thing with Tiny being assassinated was just flavor text and not us using this influence for any real practical effect. Anyways, an absolutely fantastic episode for Varak, and we are now building up the cards we need to conclude the Lichdom ritual if we can ever get another truth, another ace drawn. 
As always, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. None of this would be possible without y'all tuning in and listening to the various episodes I produce. And of course, if you wish to provide monetary support for the podcast, allowing me to keep it ad-free, to pay for hosting, and to upgrade my equipment in the future, I do have a Patreon over on patreon.com slash oneguyoneroll. If you're at all interested, please do go check it out. There is a link in the podcast description. Thank you so much, and especially a huge thank you to Master JL, Journeyman James, Journeyman Matt, Journeyman Nick, and of course, Apprentice Jesse. Thank you so much, you guys. Your support makes this literally all possible. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to the One Guy, One Roll podcast. Just being here and giving the podcast a listen is all the support I could possibly ask for. As always, I've been your host, player, and GM Hero Cities signing off. Have a great day and stay safe out there, y'all.